are now listening to Wisdom from North podcast with me, Jannike Einias. Here I will explore topics such as metaphysics, spirituality, personal growth, and in general, how we can create good lives for ourselves. My intention is to find some answers, but perhaps more importantly, finding new questions to ask, because there is always something new to discover in this wonderful universe that we live in. In Wisdom from North, we're passionate about helping you take your spiritual growth to that next level. That's why we are collaborating with some amazing spiritual teachers and partners who offer free webinars and classes. Go to wisdomfromnorth.com forward slash free. Disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast belong to the guests and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of Wisdom from North or any entities they may represent. Now, please enjoy the episode. Hello, Betty. A warm welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Really grateful for this space. Wonderful. Yeah, I discovered your story uh, and you on YouTube, actually, on several shows that I'm following. And I found your story so transformational. And it really gives hope to so many people that such a transformation is really possible. And I'm really grateful, actually, that you are sharing it uh, because I really believe in stories and how that can also transform people, that we can see that everything is possible. And you had sort of an out-of-body experience, uh, a near-death experience. I don't know what category to put it in, a divine experience. However, it was so rich. Like, you learned so much about the journey of the soul, what we're doing here, a lot of wisdom. So I'm excited to dive into it. And I'm curious to hear what were your spiritual beliefs or even religious beliefs, if you had any, before you had sort of these divine experiences? Yeah, I was a militant atheist before my experiences. So very shocking to find out that I was wrong. <laughs> uh, and my my parents, my father was Catholic, my mother was Jewish. So I have like, I'm covered on all bases just in case, I guess. <laughs> uh, but yeah, growing up, I definitely I leaned towards atheism. And in the end, it was like a very radical belief. I had long philosophical rants about how there was nothing more and anybody who believed that there was something more was ridiculous and wasting their time. Wow. What a transformation. Right. So from what I understand, this, your story starts with you having a tremendously difficult life. Would you like to share it? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I grew up in a very challenging experience, life experience. Uh, I grew up in a very chaotic, dysfunctional home. My whole family is like a perpetual cycle of addiction and poverty, molestation, incest, rape. It's been that way for generations and generations. And so you're taught at a very young age to lean on addiction because it helps you cope with what your experience is. So I basically learned how to use substances from my parents. Not like they didn't like shoot me up with, with drugs or anything, but I saw that whenever they were going through an emotion, it didn't matter what kind of emotion, it could be like sadness and depression, or it could be joy and elation to celebrate something. No matter what their emotion was, I would watch them smoke something or take a pill or drink something and their emotion changed. 
And I just, I made all of these mental notes as a child. And I said, oh, the second that I have the opportunity to do that, I am also going to do that because my emotions are too big for me and I can't handle them because of all the trauma that I went through as a child. So, you know, like I watched my parents' journey like I watched them disintegrate really, you know, like drugs. Once I had awareness, I saw that drugs were destroying their lives. And my upbringing was very chaotic in the sense that we moved every year. We were constantly being evicted. Uh, We were very poor. There was never enough money to pay the bills. We would steal our groceries. We would steal electricity from the neighbors. Like, and I thought that all of that was very normal. I didn't realize that other families don't do that. And in 2007, my parents, their addiction had hit a new bottom. And I mean, they had hit many bottoms in their life, Uh, but they were facing another eviction. The lights were turned off. The gas was turned off. The phone was turned off and they made a decision together and they decided to end their suffering and to stop using drugs. And they did that by committing suicide with one another. I was 23 when that happened. My sister was 18 and we found them and they left these very short, brief notes that didn't really explain anything, but they didn't really have to explain anything because I understood what they were thinking. Like, you know, our life was so challenging and they just saw themselves as burdens and they figured, you know, like this would be less of a burden if they just left earth. And, um, you know, like I, I went through my own addiction especially after that. I mean, I was already an addict before that had happened. But after my parents' suicide, it was like my addiction became my parent. Like it was my only comfort. It had been the only steady thing in my life up until then. And so it really latched on to me in this very dark way. And there was even a voice in my head, the voice of my addiction that said, you know, like you cannot let go of me because if you let go of me, you let go of the memory of them. So like my addiction spoke to me in this really loud way. And it said, like, you will be on drugs for the rest of your life, because if you let go of drugs, you let go of the memory of your parent, of your parents. And what kind of daughter would you be if you let go of the legacy of your family? You know, like you, you do not deserve healing. And so I stayed tethered to my own addiction throughout my life. And and my addiction was my number one. It came before every relationship, every friendship, every job, every apartment, every pet, like my addiction came first. Uh, I caused a lot of harm in my life. You know, like after my parents' suicide, I, I no longer wanted to be a victim. And so I decided that I would be the perpetrator because in my mind, those were the only two options. You can be the victim or you can be the victimizer. So I decided to become the abuser and I abused and abandoned and rejected and caused hurt and pain and suffering to so many people, people that I genuinely cared about. I abandoned my sister. I just like wipe. I just washed my hands of it. I was like, I cannot handle this. Um, I'm going to go do my own thing. And I moved across the country and I just left this little teenage girl to deal with all of her grief, abandonment and her life by herself, you know, like, and that's, a very challenging thing to say still to this day, even with all of my deep-seated spiritual beliefs, Um, you know, like relationships, husbands, divorces, uh, marriages, like just kept going down this this merry-go-round. And in the end, my addiction, I always chose my addiction before every other thing in my life. And, um, And yeah, you know, I ended up overdosing in 2019 
I just, you know, like the culmination of my experience with my own addiction. And I had this very profound spiritual awakening in my overdose. I, I had a Kundalini awakening. Uh, that's like the language that I have for it today. I didn't know what the language was. I didn't know what spirituality was. I didn't know what a spiritual awakening was. You know, like my life was very far removed from anything in that realm. And so I have language for it today. So I had Kundalini roughly translates into life force. So I had a life force energy awakening where every single one of my chakras, my spiritual body opened up and activated simultaneously all at the exact same moment. So I had this rush of energy going from my root chakra up into my crown and it was running up and down my body. And it was like very physically jarring. I was convulsing. I was actually like peeing all over myself, which is a really funny sentence to say about my awakening. And as my third eye and my crown opened, it felt like my spirit shot out of my body and went into the space of eternity. And uh, it was like a non-physical realm enveloped in unconditional love and blinding white light. But I didn't make it quite there at first. At first, what I was feeling, I, I... the language that I have for it today, I think I was experiencing something like a life review. I started to experience every emotion that we have here and in eternity and everywhere. And it was all kind of getting downloaded into me all at once. And some of the things that really vividly stick out for me is I was experiencing the pain that I had caused other people and the way that they felt. And then I also experienced the very vivid memory is I experienced my parents' suicide not only from the perspective of a a grieving daughter, but also from their perspective, I felt their pain and agony and anguish and all of the feelings that they had leading up to making this decision. And it was all encompassing. I mean, it was the deepest, darkest, like mud that you could ever imagine. It felt like every cell in my body was just blanketed in cement. Like I was so weighed down in this feeling And I started to hear these masculine voices come into my mind and they were saying, you are worthy of all the love in the universe. You are worthy of all the love in the universe. And I started to follow those voices into the space of eternity. And it was, it was some different men that were actual people in my life. One of which was my father. Another was a boyfriend who had recently passed away. His voice also guided me into that space. And I kind of found myself like decked on, it felt like a spaceship. (laughs) That's really what it felt like. It felt like I had landed on this deck and I was being downloaded with everything. I mean, like the whole fabric of creation. And so the one memory that's very vivid when I landed kind of like on this deck space was I saw myself in this sea of souls, like just thousands of light bodies, all kind of like gathered in culmination and there was a commander in the center of us and this commander was like hyping us up for a mission to come to earth and everybody was like so excited and so jazzed and like I can't wait to get there (laughs) and and then I see in my mind's eye like another scene start to play out and I find myself in front of a table of beings and the beings didn't explain to me who they were but they definitely felt like people in charge and people that I knew And so they're thumbing through this big, huge book and they're going like, okay, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. So, you know, like, it's good to see you, but we're sending you back. And I'm kind of like looking around me and I'm like, 
you guys aren't talking to me, right? Because <laughs> like I, wherever I am, I'm staying. <laughs> it felt like this great sense of reunion. Like I was finally whole and complete. And I had, I had never felt that way before. And they said, no, no, you still have so much to do. You saw the mission. You got to go back and complete it, you know? And I was like, I'm, I'm definitely not going back. Uh, they said, well, we'll take you through the details of your pre-birth plan, and then maybe you'll understand why you are most certainly going back. And so it looked a lot like a video game in my mind's eye. Everything kind of played out like a movie. And there was a man there to greet me. Uh, he was wearing a plaid blazer and a fedora. He had this big empty grocery cart, and he said, okay, pick your life. And we went through this grocery store and on the aisles, there were these big, huge cereal boxes and every cereal box had a life experience in it. And I just start grabbing everything. I'm like, Ooh, earth. Okay, here we go. And I start grabbing, you know, just like the most dense experiences, like prostitution, drug addiction, dereliction, uh, being a perpetrator and abuser, you know, like all of these different things, you know, I picked my parents, I picked the family line that I would be born into, the reasons why, the sexual traumas that I would experience as a small child. And I also saw the moment when I picked the souls that I would come into contract with to have these experiences with. And the one that's very vivid for me is that when I picked the life experience of childhood sexual trauma, there was like a little orb of light behind it. And this orb of light came to my orb of light and we came into a contract with one another. So the man that would sexually abuse me as a small child, I saw the moment that we actually chose each other for this mission and all of the reasons why. And one of the main reasons is because in a previous life, I had been his abuser in this same capacity. So we were balancing the life. We were balancing the life experience this time around. Uh, so, you know, I'm taking, and there's also things in the cart that I have not gotten to in my life yet, like overcoming triumph, recovery, spiritual awakening, being an author, being a speaker, uh, being an advocate, you know, like, and I'm just thinking like, wow, that's really lovely cart filler <laughs> because none of that resonated in my life because none of it had happened yet. So, you know, I'm taken through the details of the pre-birth plan. I find myself back in front of the table of beings. And I was like, wow, thank you guys so much for all this information. It all really makes sense now. It really felt like two tons of bondage had been released from my spirit. You know, like things had no longer happened to me. They had happened for me because on some soul level, I had chosen it for the evolvement of myself. And so I thanked them for showing me the information. I was so like grateful. And, and I, I just remember saying like, I'm so happy to have this information. I still will not be returning to earth, but I'm grateful to know that I had picked that life. And they said, listen, this is not a punishment. You are not going back to earth because you are condemned back to earth. You're going back there because you still have to balance your life. You signed up for that divine mission that you just saw in your mind's eye. And, and you're here for the most exciting time to be on earth. You volunteered to go down to earth for earth's ascension. There's a transformation of consciousness taking place and you wanted to be there for it. And so that is why you'll be going back. And the first part of your life was boot camp. And the second part of your life will be carrying out the mission and it won't be nearly as challenging. You'll have mentors and teachers and, and soulmates and kindred spirits that will all help you on your journey. 
And I was like, that all sounds super great. I am not going. <laughs> I was like, you guys have thousands of other souls here for this mission. You don't need me. I'm just like one out of just so many, you know, like I don't need to go back. And again, they said, listen, you don't have to go back into her. If you are having a problem going back into this body, we'll give you a new body to go back into, but you will balance your life. You will complete the cart. And, and so we'll show you the baby that you'll be born into. And so they showed me everything about this little baby, her ethnicity, her gender, where she would be born, who her parents would be, her adversity, her purpose, her opportunities to overcome. And this baby was going to have to balance my life already. And so she was going to have all of the same life challenges that I had already experienced. And so I just thought like, okay, if these are really my only two options, starting from zero or going back into a life that's already halfway complete, then I'll go back into her, meaning me, this body. And I just, I found myself sifting back into my awareness and they said, you know, like, trust us, it won't be that challenging. And I was like, I do not trust you guys. And I just found myself back in my awareness <laughs> on my bathroom floor. What a story. Thank you so much for sharing that. There's so much in the story. Um, uh, I got curious, did you meet your parents? Like you heard a male voice and you said there was another voice, maybe an ex-boyfriend or something like that, uh, or maybe your father, but did you meet your parents? Cause I would assume that maybe you would be drawn or soul would be drawn to sort of, uh, uh, speak with them and connect with them again after, you know, this, um, horrible way of being departed from them. Yeah, definitely. My father was there and my father is my number one spirit guide. He's with me all the time. And, um, and yeah, so he, he was definitely there. My mother, I didn't really perceive. And I, I don't perceive my mother as much as I, as I perceive my father in my life now after like integration and being able to like conceptualize and design my spirit team. Uh, but definitely my, yeah, it was very familiar. It was every masculine voice in my life that I'd ever encountered. So my own divine masculine, like my spirit's divine masculine energy was the first voice that greeted me. And then my father, my boyfriend, my grandfather was there and uncle, like people that had crossed over. Okay. So I'm thinking since you were uh, on drugs so much, uh, and I bet people are wondering about this and being skeptical <laughs> about this, I think you know where I'm going. Uh, would it be possible that this was just another trip? Yeah. So, I mean, I was completely convinced that it was drug-induced psychosis. Like, this was not part of my picture. So, I mean, I thought the same thing. I just thought, like, damn, I was so high. I thought I was talking to God. That's crazy, you know? Uh, and it's all of the divine synchronicities that happened after that made my life so teeny tiny. Because, you know, I, I just went back to using drugs after that. I, like, woke up and I was like, I was like okay, that was weird. <laughs> just went back to my life the way that I knew it. You know, like my life had only been on one track, like circling the bottom of a mountain. And it was just like me at the bottom of the mountain going around and around. And so I just continued to use drugs until source, my guides, my angels made it totally impossible for me to keep doing that. Uh, and yeah, I'll, I'll share some of the synchronicities. Like all of my drug dealers decided to stop selling drugs at the exact same moment. I'm talking about like, multiple people that did not know each other all made a life decision to like get out of the drug game and like find God and Jesus. And it was like, it was crazy. So I had no way to get them. And then, and then, I, and then drugs just began to not work. 
And, uh, you know, I found myself in withdrawal. I had a heroin addiction. So like I had a physical dependency to opiates on top of a million mental addictions to countless other substances. And I found myself in the middle of withdrawal. And, you know, like the physical withdrawal from opiates is agony. I mean, like it is hell on earth. It feels like your bones are made of fire. Like your skin is broken glass. Like every time you breathe, it hurts. It's, it's just like, so it's, it really is so epically tragic. And I think it's why so many people stay tethered to drugs for so long because the withdrawal is so painful. I know that's why I did. I stayed on drugs for over 20 years because the, the pain of withdrawal was so intense. So I'm in the middle of withdrawal, like on the worst day, and I'm welcoming death. And I, I, I felt my parents in that moment. You know, I felt exactly what they must have been feeling when they decided to commit suicide. And I had a thought and I said, damn, I'm so sick that I can't even get up out of this bed and figure out a way to kill myself. Because I was that sick that like I couldn't even like, you know, go grab a knife or like whatever. I like it was it was a moment of mental and spiritual suicide. And in that moment, I heard a voice and it said that I could request what I wanted fixed. And, you know, I was like in the throes of desperation. So I was like, OK, strange voice. <laughs> I'll bite. I don't want to be physically dependent to this drug anymore. Please take away my pain. And, and I heard, and the voice told me to lay back and count backwards from 10. And as I did, I saw, I saw these two little men appear in my mind's eye and they were wearing these white lab coats and they had these bulbous noses. And then these little lawnmowers manifested in front of them. And I watched them take off in separate directions. And each of them went through every crevice of my mind and they mowed out I mean, my pain, my, my perception, my, my way of thinking, they were like getting rid of all of this mud inside my mind with these lawnmowers. And as they finished, you know, like as they were going through my mind, I felt like these very intense, hot tingles going through my mind. And then when they were done, it felt like somebody had drawn X's across my forehead with a thumb. And then there was this bright white flash. And in that moment, I was instantaneously healed out of day three of heroin withdrawal. I mean, like literally seconds before I was sick all over myself, welcoming death. And then all of a sudden, in an instant, I was completely well and healed and fine. And I like threw myself out of bed and I got to my knees and I was crying out to the creator, the divine, the universe, whatever language you want to use, crying out to source and saying, how could this be happening? I do not believe in this. I do not believe in you. I do not believe in anything. Like you could not have picked a more unworthy subject to bestow this kind of grace on. Like for the contrast of my life before this healing, before this spiritual experience, I was an atheist. I was an orphan to suicide. I was a drug addict. I was a prostitute. I was on the verge of homelessness. I was a liar, a manipulator, a thief. I was a rapist. I was a racist. I was all of the things that you would think would not make you eligible for grace. And I had been bestowed with it. And, you know, like after that experience, whoa, my life got super chaotic. <laughs> 
you know, like at first I was like, I, I am the second coming of Christ. <laughs> I can heal people. I, I have the power. And so like I went out on the New York City subway system and I was like evangelizing and proselytizing. Mind you, I was like a homeless crackhead, basically. <laughs> I'm like screaming on the subway system, trying to lay hands on other homeless drug addicts. And, you know, like it was totally insane and chaotic. And I found myself in a, um, in a hospital. Cause like, I just, I didn't know what had happened. I thought that I had died and that all I was trying to do was just get back to heaven. And so I found myself in this hospital and obviously like I'm talking gibberish, you know, like nobody understands what I'm saying and I end up like passing out. And when I wake up, there's this woman and she's standing over me and all that I see is her name badge. And her name was Jeannie and my mom's name was Janie. So it was like one letter off. I'm basically looking at my mother's name. And then I look up at the woman and she has my mother's eyes, like not just the eye color. She has the shape, the intensity, like the soul of my mother. I'm staring at it in this woman's face. And she starts telling me about the rehab on the ninth floor. And she's like, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm in recovery. And she starts telling me her own story. And she tells me how she lost her children in active addiction. And the way that it was processing in my own mind, it sounded like she was saying that her children had died. And then I was thinking about my own mother probably feeling like her children had died when she crossed over because like it was that disconnection from us. And so like my mind is kind of like all warping around what she's saying. She wasn't saying that her children had died. She was saying that she lost them. She lost custody of them. She regained custody through recovery and all of these different things. But my mind was interpreting everything as a spiritual sign, as a message, like something from source. And so I was like, I don't need help with drugs. Like, I don't need to do what you did thinking that this woman is actually my mother. I'm like taking out all of my anger and resentment on her. I was like, I don't need to do what you did. Um, you know, like I, I've been healed. Like I'm touched. I'm saved by grace. Like I don't need any of this. And she was like, okay, I'm on the ninth floor. If you change your mind and you decide that you want help. And so like, again, I just didn't know what was happening to me. <laughs> so I like, I was like, I'm dead. I don't need anything. I threw my purse away that had like keys, like a wallet. I had no money, but I had like my ID in it. I threw it away. I was like, I'm dead. I don't need this. <laughs> I went up to the ninth floor and when I, the elevator opened, there was a man there and he looked just like my grandfather who had passed away. And he even had the same name as him. His name badge said Nick. And I was like, hey, Nick, I'm looking for Jeannie. She said that she could help me. He was like, yeah, right this way. Takes me to her office. And I see her sitting at her desk. And behind her, there's this big, huge poster. And it says, what mommy does, baby does. And it was, and so in my mind, I'm thinking, this woman's my mother. She had to do recovery. It's saying that what she does, I have to do. I have to do recovery. And it was actually a poster about like transferring drugs through breast milk. But in my mind, everything is sort of like clicking. And so I sit down with her and I'm like, I don't want to do recovery. I don't want to do this. Please. I just want to go back home to heaven. And she's like, I don't know what to tell you. Like check. She has no idea that everything in my head is processing in a different way than she sees it, you know, but basically that was a spiritual sign for me that, you know, like, Th these were the, the clues that said you have to do recovery. You know, like I'm staring at a woman who looks exactly like my mother, has nearly the same name, a sign behind her, what mommy does, baby does. And, uh, and I knew that I had to get onto a different path. And then from there, more synchronicities. Like I found myself on a train after that situation 
with no destination. And this man appeared across from me and he was wearing a 12 step fellowship necklace. And I, and I heard a voice in my head and it said, that's your path, follow him to a meeting. And I begrudgingly did. I really did not want recovery. I did not want any part of whatever this life was going to be. I was perfectly content living and dying. And I was welcoming death for many years, especially the last couple of years of my active addiction. I was just living to die. I was using because I really wanted to die, you know, and, um, and yeah, this awakening just totally transformed every cell in my body. And I found myself in, in a long-term rehab. And that's kind of where the rest of my journey and integration took place. So I also believed that it was like some fake illusion, drug-induced psychosis. But then all of these all of these beautiful synchronicities that were like totally poetic and played out like a movie started to take place. And so it let me know that my experience was a real one. I really had to get onto another path. There is a divine mission waiting for me and earth is in, in a state of ascension and I'm here for it. Wow. Uh, amazing, amazing story. Um, I mean, 2019, it's not so long ago. How long have you been sober and how long have you been sharing this message and feeling like this, I don't know, maybe a newborn person in a way? Yeah, definitely newly born. So my clean date is June 1st, 2019. My awakening happened on March 23rd, 2019. So it took me about two months of like still being totally chaotic and immersed in my addiction to actually like, you know, have the healing happened. And, and then and then I actually went into recovery. Um, and I started sharing about it immediately. Right after the awakening happened, I went on Instagram and I was like, hello, um, God is real. And I was in heaven. And I mean, like I never felt I never felt embarrassed by it. Like I never experienced this spiritual closet. I, especially after like I actually got clean and sober and I like, you know, my awareness started to like uncloud and I was able to start to integrate the experience. I was like, everybody needs to know about this. Like if this could happen for me, this is going to happen for everybody. And like, I want people to know about it. So I've always been sharing about it ever since it happened. And I think, you know, like I, my first opportunity to share about it probably happened maybe two years after the awakening, like really share about it, like with an audience present. What would you say to those people who are listening right now who either have a drug problem themselves or are in deep despair, or maybe they have family members, children who are having this issue and maybe they have, you know, screamed to God and asked for help and they're not receiving it. And I, I read that again and again. And yeah, do you have any perspectives on why you and why not everybody? Yeah, I, I I love this thought because yeah, why me? I yeah, why me? It was it was part of my pre-birth plan. And right. you know, like not everybody has signed up for a pre-birth plan where they need to have a bucket of ice water and spiritual bricks dumped on their head all at once. Some people signed up for pre-birth plans where they're attracted to teachers who can who have had the experiences for them and they can just learn from it. Um, and you know, like I, I feel like people often are like, I want that spiritual experience. Like, you know, it was crazy. Like it might sound nice, like when I share it in a story, but it was chaotic and, you know, like so uncomfortable. It felt like a whole new being was birthed out of my actual skin. Um, so I think that if you are having a struggle with 
addiction because, you know, like just because I had a spiritual experience doesn't mean that I don't still deal with my addiction. You know, like my addiction comes up in a million other ways in my life. I don't use drugs or alcohol anymore because I felt like unconditional love and grace saved me from that. But my addiction still wants to hold space in my life. And so it comes up in all these other ways, like eating disorders, person obsession, binge watching TV, sex, codependency, masturbation. There's a million other ways that addiction can show up. And it it does in my life. So today I have tools on how to deal with that. Um, I practice the 12 steps in a 12 step fellowship. I'm very, very involved in that fellowship. So if you're somebody who's dealing with addiction, please go find a 12 step meeting. Like for me, it, you know, like it is, it is a link to, to source. It is a link to something bigger than ourselves. And if you're a family member of somebody who's dealing with addiction, there's 12 step fellowships for that as well. You know, it's not about like, pushing your belief on somebody else. Like, I don't think that you should be doing this. Of course, you don't think that they should be doing this. They could be destroying themselves. And, you know, like that's a very scary place to be. Uh, But like having some acceptance around their own journey and finding support for you to, to build that acceptance and surrender around that, that's also terribly important. Um, So like for me, spiritual community has been a big part of my recovery process I cannot do this alone. My addiction thrives in isolation. You know, like if I'm sitting alone with myself, I'm sitting with the last person that I used drugs with. So I need to be around other people. I got to get new people, places, and things. So now I'm surrounded by people who are in recovery or on a spiritual journey or interested in spiritual awakening. And, you know, like I, I also avoid places. Like I don't go into bars. <laughs> I, I won't be able, I don't trust myself. I don't trust my addiction, you know? So, um, you know, I, I go to, you know, like gatherings, devotionals. I go to 12 step meetings. I, you know, like I go to museums and I do things in my life life that I never did before. You know, like my life before was just depravity, isolation, dereliction, and addiction. And today it's not that way. And again, like if that's possible for me, it's possible for anybody. And you don't need to die to get it. You know, like some of us die in in the midst of our addiction and we don't have a near-death experience. We just have a death experience. And then we have to come back and do it all over again. Doesn't that sound exhausting? Like, let's just get it this time around, you know? Like we don't have to come back and do the whole addiction thing all over again. So yeah, you know, like my, my advice to anybody who is dealing with addiction is find your way to a 12 step meeting. You can reach out to me. Um, my information will be in the liner notes of, of this video. I'm sure of it. And um, please feel free to utilize me as a tool. Like, you know, I love uh, brokering people into communities, like being that resource broker for people. Um, but yeah, some of us have these spiritual experiences. Some of us don't. Um, I believe it's all part of the pre-birth plan. Perhaps, perhaps your soul was like, a Buddhist monk in a past life and was like, you know what? I don't need the whole spiritual awakening experience. I already did that. Yeah. I mean, that resonates with me because I've had those thoughts myself when I was deeply depressed. I so wanted to have the spiritual being appear in my living room. And I felt that, oh, I must not be worthy of that. Uh, and I think that's very wrong. No, I think it's not part of the pre-birth plan. And I think we plan so much more than we actually think we're so much more part of why we're here and what we're doing here. And and speaking of that, I heard you spoke about different waves in another uh, video that I watched with you, uh, that you came with a second wave 
or something like that. And you spoke about the cycle of ascension, which I found very interesting. So could you share your perspective on what the different waves are uh, and what the cycle of uh, ascension is all about? Yeah, so the three waves of volunteers are, it's its from literature from Dolores Cannon. And the that information came to me again in like a very synchronistic way. My laptop was open and not, there was nothing on it. And then all of a sudden a video started playing and it was a Dolores Cannon. I mean, like just, I didn't touch anything. Like there was no, it was bizarre. So, you know, just like another one of those really divine synchronicities. So the three waves of volunteers, basically it's like a generational thing, you know, so in my age bracket, I would be a second wave volunteer. The first wave of volunteers, this is for the end of Earth's ascension cycle. So the first wave of volunteers came, you know, like the like the hippies from like the 60s. Like that would be the first wave of volunteers. They kind of paved the way for us to tap into a different level of consciousness. And, um, and this is, again, for the end of Earth's ascension cycle. I'm not saying that nobody's ever been in spiritual awareness before. Of course, there have been people in spiritual awareness all throughout time. But this is for the end cycle of Earth. So the second wave volunteers are people who are generally like in their 40s or, you know, like we're getting up there like to our 50s. Um, and and then the third wave of volunteers are like the new indigo children, the rainbow children, people who are coming into onto their earth mission, staying in spiritual awareness, never really forgetting, you know, like uh, for me, my whole life was in a state of forgetfulness. And then I had this awakening experience to help me remember. But the third wave of volunteers are children that are here to pave the way. A lot of the third wave volunteers come into form um, like autistic which is why we have so many of them right now in our collective, uh, because it teaches us to let go of social constructs, to see beyond like physical form, to see beyond limitations and to experience the unconditional love of a child uh, like that. And, and, you know, like they kind of keep that child like innocence throughout their lives because they don't have an understanding of social constructs. So, um, you know, like at first when I heard the volunteer information it really resonated but then as my integration process went on i was like i don't think that i'm a volunteer i'm pretty sure that i'm mandated here like i'm part of some sort of court like like spiritual court and they were like nah you gotta go back you know um now as i've like integrated the experience i do feel like i'm a volunteer a lot of volunteers have never been on earth before um i definitely have been on earth before Earth's ascension cycle happens every 25,900 years. And I believe that I've been here since the beginning of creation. I have past life, life memories of Atlantis uh, and the fall of Atlantis. And I know that I've been here just kind of experiencing this roller coaster over and over again. And I signed up for the ascension because I've been here for Earth. For I've been on Earth for the whole of it. And so I want to experience, you know, like the next cycle of it as well. So that's kind of the information that I have about volunteers. If you're if you're interested in it, definitely check out Dolores Cannon. I mean, like there's a million videos on YouTube and on all these other resources. Uh, but Dolores Cannon's uh, literature is so in depth, and and it got so much great information about pre-birth planning, the volunteers, ascension, all of those things. Yes, I've been reading some of her material as well, and I'm really sorry that she passed away before I got an interview with her. <laughs> Oh, I interviewed her daughter, though. Oh, wow. Really cool. Right, right. Yeah. So what did you sort of learn about manifestation when you had these experiences? Uh, how much influence do you feel we have over our lives? And how does it go together with this 
plan that we actually have, which is quite a destiny, right? So how much do we do we influence? Yeah. So at first I was like, free will is an illusion. I'm trapped here. This is crazy. You know, that's how I felt at first. Again, thank goodness for integration and actually being able to process the experience. Uh, so, so free will and manifesting and pre-birth planning, like, can they all go together? Yeah, they do. So pre-birth planning is the major plot points of your life. They're already mapped out. So you signed up, okay, we'll use the analogy of school now. Uh, I love going back and forth between like, earth is a school, earth is a movie, earth is a video game. So Earth is a school and you sign up for a specific major. You have specific classes that you already said, like, I'm going to take this class. I'm going to learn this lesson. This is what I'm coming to Earth to do. So that's that's already mapped out. Now, everything that you do in between that, that's where your free will and your and your power to manifest come into your experience. So. I've always been manifesting my experience, but I've been doing it unconsciously. So my thoughts before were I'm impoverished. I'm a prostitute. I'm a drug addict. I hate my life. And so my experience was a reflection of that thought system. So now I have different thoughts. I'm an abundant individual. I'm surrounded by spiritual community. I have a connection to the divine, my spirit guides and angels. I love my life. And so now my reality reflects that, that thought system. And, you know, it's not just like, I can't just affirm those things. Like, I love life. If you're in the midst of like suicidal depression, obviously you cannot affirm that you love life because you don't right now. So it's really about dismantling the belief system. So for me, my mind was on a one track system for you know the entirety of it it was feel a feeling get drugs to cover up the feeling get money to get drugs to cover up the feeling do depra depraved things to get that money and rinse and repeat over and over and over again and that was my whole life so i had to start to dismantle that thought system so you know like i i, I just started at the beginning have a feeling okay i'm not going to go to the point where i'm going to use drugs to cover up the feeling instead i'm going to sit with the feeling and it's uncomfortable it is uncomfortable but it's a wave and it passes uh, all feelings are waves, even ones of joy and elation, they come and go too. you know, like everything will pass. So yeah, you know, like the power of manifestation in my own life, I just, I started with really small stuff, you know, like I, I came into the awareness of the law of attraction and, and metaphysics while I was in treatment, recovering from my drug addiction. Like I started to devour everything I could get my hands on. I had never used my mind before. So I was really excited to be online and being able to use it. So I started reading all these books. And so I just started with really small things because I didn't believe that I could manifest a whole new life for myself, but I thought, well, maybe I can manifest a bag of peanuts, you know, like, and so I just started with really small things like that. And then once I, you know, like manifested a bag of peanuts, I was like, whoa, maybe I can manifest my favorite candy bar. And then just like building up my confidence and my courage to really take things on. And then from, and always taking action steps as well. So like from there, I started setting goals and I made a manifestation list and I manifested a beautiful home for myself. I was homeless for a year and a half. Um, I manifested recovery communities. I called in the members of my soul tribe to myself through manifestation. Uh, you know, like after my spiritual experience, I had all of these really divine connections to the non-physical. 
Like all my best friends were all these non-physical entities. And when I left treatment, I, I set out a prayer and an intention and, and a call to manifest into my reality. I said to my spirit guides and my angels, I said, it would be really great if you guys could manifest into physical people so that this experience doesn't seem so lonely here. And as soon as I set that intention, they all came to me. Every single one of my communities, I found them. And, you know, like I tried different things on, like I'd go to a bunch of different sharing groups or things that I was interested in. Like I'd find communities that were doing stuff and, you know, like it, not all of them fit. I was like, oh, these aren't my people. This doesn't feel aligned. And I move on to the next thing, but I just keep taking action and manifesting is also about taking action. I have to stay in the action of changing my thought system, changing my beliefs, doing things that keep my energy high and elevated. And yeah, those are my thoughts on manifestation. That is very inspiring because I'm always very curious about uh, this manifestation process. And it's uh, really empowering to know that we do have so much influence. Uh, so, uh, and many who have had these spiritual experiences, it seems like you just crack open that all of a sudden you have these abilities and you just mentioned your guides. And I'm, I'm curious uh, if you have a connection to guides that you're working with, do they have any message for us today? Yeah, so everybody has connections to their guides. And I think the main message that my guides are always uh, encouraging me to share is that you also have access to guides. So and I'll just share like a quick, a quick little exercise on kind of how to call in your guides. Number one, you got to believe, right? You got to believe that you're worthy of guides. So like, for me, my spirit guides are my customer service agents for here, like in this store of earth, right? So I can pick up the phone and I can call up customer service and be like, hello, I need some help. This isn't going the way that I want it to, uh, but I got to wait on hold sometimes for like an insane amount of time. Uh, and I just got to trust and believe that like whoever's on the other end of the line is actually going to be able to help me. So I do character development around my guides. I design them and, you know, I make them like very regular because it makes makes me feel like safer and it seems more attainable to me. Like if I actually think about source kind of like swooping in with all of the, like the majesty of the universe to come and help me, that seems like a little too far away for me. You know, like how can I connect with that? I mean, I can, I absolutely have the ability to, but I do it in, in layers and in levels. So like my main spirit guide that I'm working with right now, his name is Philip. He's just like a regular guy, you know, like he wears like khakis and like a button up shirt. And he's like, hey, I'm Philip. <laughs> and he helps me with certain things. And so I design all of my spirit guides like that. So like Philip's main purpose in my life is assisting me with manifestation, attracting financial abundance into my life and dismantling my poverty mentality, my poverty consciousness. So like he's been spending a lot of time with me recently because I'm going through a shift like that. And then I have other spirit guides that help me with other things. I have a spirit guide that helps me with relationships. I have a spirit guide that helps me with, um, you know, like my passion, with fulfilling my purpose. And, and I just have done character development around all of them. I give them all shapes and names and faces and voices and, and the attributes that each of them have. Very inspiring and very helpful. So this has been incredible to listen to. Uh, and again, like I started saying, I'm very grateful that you're sharing this and you have an amazing ability to communicate. Uh, so this is obviously uh, part of your purpose. Uh, I have three questions that I ask my guests. And the first one is, what is self-love to you? 
Wow. Self-love is a journey. That's that like that is the short answer. It is a journey. Self-love is about the understanding for me about recognizing my divinity. Uh, If I can recognize my divinity, I have got a better chance at appreciating myself and experiencing self-love in human form. Uh, Again, like there's so many constructs in the world that tell me that I should not love myself. I don't look the way that I should. I don't act the way that I should. I don't talk the way that I should, you know, should being ego, right? My sponsor always says, don't shit all over yourself. But that really is like what, what society, like how it, it distracts me from self-love. So for me, self-love is a process of undoing. I get an opportunity to undo all of the constructs of the world and actually tap into my true divinity and recognize myself the way that source does as a ball of unconditional love and light. Mm, beautiful. And what is happiness to you? Happiness to me is following my passion. And if you don't know what your passion is, that's actually awesome because you get to figure it out. (laughs) So it doesn't have to be like the super damning thing like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm passionate about. Like you get to try on a bunch of different things. So for me, that that has been a big part of happiness has been um, finding out the things that I'm passionate about. And it shifts, you know, like one day I'm passionate about coloring and the next day I'm passionate about speaking or like it could be like a million different things you know so just following joy like following things that make me feel elated and light and kind of tingly and what is the deeper meaning of life from your perspective oof yeah uh the deeper meaning of life for me is Wow, that's such a that's such a profound question, right? Like, how do you even sum it up in a couple of sentences? The meaning of life for me is the awareness that I came here to forget so that I could remember. And and the purpose of life is that remembrance that I'm actually a divine spiritual being and that this is an illusion, a dream that I live inside of, and it's not meant to be taken so seriously. Wow. This was so inspiring. Uh, Thank you so much for doing the work you're doing today and for being so brave to share your story. And it's quite vulnerable to do so. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for showing up and doing it. (laughs) Thank you so much for this space. And thanks for staying so present and being so engaging, having so many great questions to ask. Thank you. you want to become more who you are and live in alignment with your soul's purpose and explore a deeper meaning with your life, then you are most welcome to join Wisdom from North membership. If you want to go deeper, you can find all our English online courses and programs at wisdomfromnorth.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube just by searching for Wisdom from North. Until the next episode, much light from here.